Hi, my name is Charles Hefner on program staff. You're listening to week six of Falls Creek Podcast. The speaker for week six was Shane Pruitt, and we had 5,061 students in attendance. Enjoy. Amen. Amen. Can we give the Lord a hand and God good? God's been doing some awesome things this week. If you have your copy of God's Word, and I hope that you do, turn to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. So you have the Gospel of John, but go past that toward the end of the Bible, and it's 1 John chapter 2, and we'll start in verse 7. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and say, I'm so glad you got to see me tonight. Why don't you tell him that? 1 John chapter 2. And tonight we're going to talk about the mystery of loving others. As you can see, there's been a progression this week of where we came from, why are we here, what's wrong with us, what's the solution. Night two, we talked about who Jesus was. Last night, we talked about following Jesus. And tonight, we're going to talk about what Jesus saves us to. So September 18th, 2004 was the day I married the love of my life. Aren't you proud of me? I remember my anniversary, and that day I stood at the front of the church before God and our assembled witnesses, and I had a rented tuxedo on, and I looked good, I looked GQ, but then the back doors of the church opened, and there was my bride, and she looked mo better, you know what I mean, all right? And then she came forward, and that day, we made a covenant unto one another before the Lord and our assembled witnesses. Now watch this, that day... I became a husband. Like, I'm not working to become a husband. I don't die one day, go off to a distant land and become a husband there. That day, I became a husband, and for the last 15 years, I've been learning what it means to be a husband. See, that day, who I am changed. I went from a single man to a husband. Now, as a husband, if I still live like a single man, there'd be some issues, you know what I mean? So that day, I became a husband, and for the last 15 years, I've been learning what it means to be a husband. And ladies, you should be proud of me because I've learned some things over the last 15 years, all right? I have learned that there are 10 pillows on our bed that I'm not allowed to sleep on. That's crazy. Makes no sense. I've learned any noise after 9 p.m., it's my job to go figure out what it is. Like, even if it's an axe murderer, now I don't mean axe like he's going to spray you a body spray axe, all right? Although that stuff is dangerous, all right? I mean, like, axe like he's going to chop you. It's my job to go figure out what that is, all right? Uh, I've also learned that when my wife talks about spending quality time together, she means like TV off, us facing each other, sharing the most intimate details of our day. See, because back in the day, I used to think quality time meant like TV on, big red, nacho cheese Doritos, and watching Sports Center. All right? I thought that was quality time. How wrong was I? All right. So I've learned something. Now watch. That day I became a husband. For the last 15 years, I've been learning how to be who I already am. Now the same with Christianity. See, one of the greatest things the gospel does in your life is it changes who you are. It changes your identity. You know, becoming a follower of Jesus is not just so you can get your get-out-of-hell-free card. It's not that you get saved so that you just get to go to heaven one day. That's true, but there's more than that. Because if you think about it, if Jesus just saved us 
just so we could go to heaven one day. Wouldn't it make sense the moment we surrender to Jesus, then he would just call us home? But we're all still here. So he saves us and changes our identity. Watch this. We were lost, met Jesus, now we're found. You've heard that all week. We were dead, met Jesus, now we're what? Alive. We were sinners, met Jesus, now the New Testament calls us saints. Did you know that? Did you know you were a saint if you had been bought with the blood of Jesus and the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you? The New Testament calls you a saint of God. The saints are not just a football team in New Orleans. It's you. You're the saints. Saints aren't just people in old paintings with halos around their heads. If you're the church, you're the saints of God. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and say, what's up, saint? Ask them that, all right? It changes who we are. Now watch this. We were orphans, met Jesus, now we're children of God. It changes who we are. I want you to write this down. Already get some notes out, get something to write with, and this is the foundation of where we're going for the rest of the night. I want you to write this down. When Jesus changes who I am, he will also begin to change what I do. When Jesus changes who I am, he will also begin to change what I do. You can also write this quote down. When Jesus changes my identity, he will begin to change my activity. See, in the Bible, in the New Testament, the gospel always focuses on changing who we are, and then it will work in our life to change what we do. If we're not careful as the church, we get that backwards. We always want to go after people's actions and behaviors first, right? Because we think if we can change what people do, then it will change who they are, and the gospel works the opposite. See, I don't know about you, when I first started going to church, all I heard was being a Christian means this, you don't drink, you don't smoke, you don't chew, or date girls that do, right? But see, the gospel, the New Testament, always focuses on our identity first, and then through the power of the Holy Spirit, it will change us in what we do. It will change our activity. And so tonight, I want you to see that in God's Word. And I want you to write down three truths tonight that I'm going to give you and some other notes in between, and let's see what God will do. So look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 7. If you're with me, say, uh-huh. Turn to your neighbor and say, pay attention now. All right, look. So John does exactly what we talked about. He starts with identity before he propels us to activity. Look at the first word of verse 7, it says, beloved, meaning this, that's your identity. That's who you are. If you have been bought with the blood of Jesus and the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you, you are beloved. That's who you are. And because of that truth, it changes everything. He says, beloved, I am writing you, look at this, no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. Number one, I want you to write this down. Love is an old commandment. Love is an old commandment. We are called to love God and love others, and it's an old commandment. Now, why does he say it's an old commandment? Because it's been around for thousands of years, even at the time of this writing. If you remember in the Gospels, somebody asked, a lawyer asked Jesus, and he says, hey, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? In the law, basically sum up the law, the Hebrew scriptures. Uh, we call it the Old Testament. They would have never called it the Old Testament. They would have called it the Testament. It says sum up the Testament. 
And Jesus said, it's the great commandment. And what is the great commandment? To what? Love the Lord your God with all your what? Heart. With all your what? Soul, mind, and strength. Basically this. I want you to write this down. I am called to love God with every ounce of my being. To love God with every ounce of my being. Like we said the other night, that he truly is the king of my life. He truly is, number one. That's an old commandment. And then even when Jesus speaks of that, he is quoting an old commandment. He's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6. And then he continues on and he says there's another commandment that's equally important. To what? Love your what? Neighbor as yourself. So we are called to love God and love people. And when he quoted that, he was quoting Leviticus 19. It is an old commandment that we are called to love God and love people. Now, our English word for love kind of loses a little bit of impact because we got one word for love, and it's the word what? Love, right? You know, the great philosopher Tina Turner said, what has love got to do with it? It's everything. Now, here's the deal is in the Greek, the original language of the New Testament, there's actually four words for love. We don't have time to unpack each one of them. But the love that the uh, commandment is talking about, the love this is talking about, is the Greek word agape. Turn to your neighbor and say agape. And basically, it means this unconditional love, this love that only comes from God. And see, our English language loses that impact. Because I'm going to give you an example. We have one word for love, and it's love. Give me an example. How many of you say, Shane, I love God? If that's you, would you raise your hand? All right. How many of you say, uh, Shane, I love my family? All right. How many of you say, uh, Shane, I love the OKC Thunder? All right. How many of you say, but you do not love what's going on right now with the Thunder? All right. A little bitter, a little little too soon, right? All right. How many of you say, um, I love tacos? Anybody? All right. Now, here's the deal. See, See what I'm saying? Hopefully, you don't love tacos as much as you love God. Because maybe you're like, well, I worship the idols of tacos. Now, repent of that, all right? But see, agape is this perfect love, this unconditional love. Basically, this is what God's calling us to. Watch this. To not love God for what God can do for you, love God because he is God. It's unconditional. Now watch this. Not just love others that can love you back, or not just love others that you like, but literally you unconditionally love others. It's an old commandment. Number two, I want you to write this down. Love is a new commandment. Love is a new commandment. You're like, what? We just said it was an old commandment. Well, look at verse 8. It says, at the same time, it is a new commandment. Turn your neighbor and say, love is a new commandment. Tell them that. You're like, wait, he just said it's an old commandment. How is it now a new commandment? It says, at the same time is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him. Who's the him? It's Jesus. Turn your neighbor and say, we're talking about Jesus, which is true in him. Look at this. And in you. Because the darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. Now, you need to know the context of what we're speaking of here. See, 1 John, the entire letter, 1 John has become one of my favorite books. It deals with assurance of salvation. Basically, he's saying, this is how you know you belong in the faith, is that you realize there's a new commandment, or there's an old commandment on your life, But then there's a new commandment. And you're like, well, what, what, what? He just said it was old. Now he's saying it's new. Here's what he's saying is this. 
is before you had the commandment on your life. And it's been on your life your whole life. And it was to love God with every ounce of your being and to love your neighbor as yourself. Here's the deal. Is if it's agape love that only comes from God, then here's the deal. Even though you had the commandment on your life, watch this. You had the inability to obey it. Because you were a sinner separated from God. You were spiritually dead. There's no way you can love this kind of love if you're separated from God. So he says, it's an old commandment, but now I'm giving you a new commandment. Why? Because it's the gospel, right? God created us. Sin separated us. Jesus came 2,000 years ago. Jesus lived the perfect sin-free life you and I couldn't live. Jesus, watch this, out of perfect agape love, took our place on the cross, paying for my sin, your sin. Three days later, he busted out of the grave because the grave could not hold the love of Christ. He busted out of the grave. He showed himself for 40 days. He ascended into heaven. He sat down at the right hand of the Father as King of kings and Lord of lords. Why did Jesus sit down? Not because he was tired, not because he needed a Starbucks break. He sat down because three very important words he said on the cross. What is it, False Creek? It is what? Finished. He made the way possible to know God again. Watch this. So that if we repent, believe, turn from our way of doing things, turn to Jesus, place our faith in him, he places his Holy Spirit in us. Watch this. And when the Holy Spirit of God comes to live inside of us, he gives us hope, he gives us peace, he gives us joy, he gives us eternal life, and he gives us love because all those things have a name, and that name is what? Jesus. So what he's saying is this. I want you to write this down. There was an old commandment that you were called to. However, you had the inability to carry it out. But because of the new covenant, meaning this, the Holy Spirit of God can come and make his home inside of you, that old covenant is now a new reality for you because the power to carry that out now lives in you because Christ is in you. And it changes everything. It changes everything everything. Now, it's kind of like this, all right? So, when God saves us, he doesn't just save us from things, and we always talk about that, right? God, Christ saved us from hell. Christ saved us from sin, and that's all true, but Christ also saved us to some things. See, eternal life doesn't start in heaven. Eternal life starts now, so he saves you to a community, he saves you to a church, he saves you to a family, he saves you to a kingdom, he saves you, watch this, to a ministry, he saves you to a mission. Now, he has called you to love God and love others, and he's given you the power to carry that out. It means this, he has saved you from more than what we normally find ourselves doing. And if we're not careful as the church, this is where we kind of position ourselves, right? We'll say, all right, we get saved, then we get dunked in water, then we sit on our blessed assurances, going to a bunch of potluck dinners, waiting for the rapture bus to swoop down and pick us all up. In the meantime, we're just waiting to go to heaven. No, no, no. He has saved you to send you. I want you to write that down. He has saved me to send me. It changes everything. You know how we always say this, love is a verb? What's a verb? Action, right? Love is a verb. No, 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 listen. Before you can ever love as a verb, 
you need to know love as a noun. Because in 1 John, same book, it says God is love. So before you can ever truly love God like he's called you to, and before you can ever truly love others, before you can practice love as a verb, you need to know love as a noun because love has a name. And that name is what? Jesus. Help me with this. Turn to your neighbor and say, love is a noun and his name is Jesus. Tell him that. Now, jump down to verse 8. And this is where we're going to kind of spend the rest of our time. Look at verse 8. It says, at the same time, it is a new commandment, meaning it's a new reality for you. So at the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing you, which is true in him, Christ, and in you, because the Spirit is in you, because the darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. We see this in John 13, verses 34 through 35. Write those down. He says, a new commandment I give to you, Jesus, red letter, that you love one another, just as loved you, you are also to love one another. So he first loves us so that we can go love others. And then look at verse 35. It says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have, what, love for one another. Let me ask you this real quick. How do you want your student ministry to be known in the community? Most of us say, man, we want our, our student ministry to be known because, uh, man, we got cool graphics. Hey, we want our student ministry to be known because we got good music. Hey, we want our student ministry to be known because, uh, man, we're big. We want our student ministry to be known, uh, man, because we play cool games. And Jesus didn't say any of that. He said, may we be known by what? How we love one another. And then he says, now there is darkness around us because we live in a lost and dying world, and yet the light is already shining. Watch this, to push back darkness. And now you see in John chapter 8, verse 12, I want you to write this down, all right? John 8, 12, look it up later. It's on the screen. He says, and again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Remember last night we talked about being a follower of Jesus. Now, look at verse 9, and this is where we'll spend the rest of our time. It says, whoever, turn to your neighbor and say, that means you. Whoever says he is in the light, meaning this, if Christ is in you, the light of the world is in you, and when the light of the world is in you, he's going to send you to be light in a dark world, to push back darkness for the name and the fame and the glory of our King Jesus. And he says, but whoever is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. It means this. I think it's very relevant. If, it says, if you say, man, I love God, but I can't stand people, what he's saying is the love of God's not in you. Like the litmus test of your love for God will be how you love people. Because the greatest way to love people is to love God. And our evidence of loving God is how we love others. And he said, whoever loves his brother, verse 10, abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. Look at verse 11. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness, meaning you're still walking in lostness. The light of Christ is not in you. Whoever hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness, look at this, and does not know where he is going. You're just stumbling around. Has there ever been a time where you woke up at night and you're going to the kitchen to get two things that are straight from the hands of the Lord, all right? Big red and nacho cheese Doritos in the middle of the night, right? And you're filling around. 
the wall looking for a light switch. Have you ever done that? And you're just wandering aimlessly. That's what it's like to live in this world without the light of Christ in you. Walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Now, I want you to write this last thing down and then we're going to unpack it for a moment. Walking in love pushes back the darkness. Walking in love pushes back the darkness. So this is what it means. If you have been bought with the blood of Jesus and the Holy Spirit of God is inside of you, then the light of the world is in you. And the light of the world, watch this, is propelling you to go be light to the world and push back the darkness so that the world can know the light of the world, which is Jesus. It means this. He saves you to send you. He changes your identity to change your activity. It means this. I want you to watch this. How many of you would say, Shane, I know without a doubt that I have been saved, and I know without a doubt I am a Christian. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Some of you, a lot of you, hundreds of you, that happened this week. All right, now, all right, leave your hand up. Put your hand back up. Put your hand up back up. All right, now, leave your hand up if God has called you to ministry, okay? Leave your hand up if God has called you to be a missionary. Okay, let's try this again. All right, hey, if you say, Shane, I know without a doubt that I am a child of God, that I am a Christian, I want you to put your hand back up. Now, I'm going to give you a hint. All right, ready? Listen up. I'm going to give you a hint. Whatever you do, do not put your hand down. Keep your hand up no matter what. Leave your hand up if God's called you to ministry. Oh, turn around. Look at all these people called to ministry. Leave your hand up if you're a missionary. Oh, look at all these missionaries. I want you to write this down. If you're a Christian, you are a missionary. If you're a Christian, you have been called to ministry. And you go, well, Shane, what's my ministry? What's my mission field? Everybody look down at their two feet right now. You see that ground between your two feet? That ground between your two feet at any point of the day is your mission field. That's your ministry. It changes the way you view everything. Listen, school is more than a prison. Amen? <laughs> That's your mission field. God has placed you there. How many of you go to school with people that do not know Jesus as Lord and Savior? Raise your hand. That's your ministry. That's your mission field. That's why you're there, to be salt light, to push back darkness so that your people can know your King Jesus. That's why you're there. How many of you, um, you know, uh, are, have a job already and you work with people that do not know Jesus as Lord and Savior, even adults, all right? Listen, that is more than a place to make a paycheck. That's your ministry. That's your mission field. He's called you to be salt and light there. How many of you live in a city where people don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior? That's your mission field. God has sovereignly placed you there. And you go, no, 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 my dad got a job. That's why we're there. Nope, that might have been the means. You're there because a holy on-purpose God sent you there to be a missionary in that mission field. And then the nations, the nations are our mission field. How many of you have family that do not know Jesus as Lord and Savior? That's your mission field. How many of you agree sometimes family is the most difficult to talk to about Jesus? A lot of my family are lost. You think about it, right? Because every family's got at least one weirdo in it, right? The weird cousin, the weird uncle. Right now, I want you to think of who the one weirdo is in your family. If you can't think of anybody, it's you. You're the one, all right? That's your ministry. That's your mission field. Listen, it changes everything. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to write this down. Everything I'm a part of is on purpose. Everything now I'm a part of is on purpose. If you have been saved, like I said the other night, you're not the future of the church. You're the church right now. And everything you're a part of is now a mission field. It changes the way you view everything. Like some of you maybe have heard me share this example before, but I want to share it again because I think it's relevant. Think about all the crazy things we're a part of, like football, basketball, 
science club, chess club, cheerleading, volleyball, whatever cool thing you're into, you are there to be a missionary and point others to King Jesus. Let me give you this example. Like, we live in the South, and in the South, we do weird things, meaning this, like, we think FFA is a good idea, right? <laughs> now, hey, now don't hate on me. I only make fun of it because I did it, all right? But let me ask you this. What in the world is goat showing? <laughs> right? Like, everybody gather around. Gather around. I got a goat to show you. <laughs> I'm showing you my goat. There it is. It's a goat. Got four legs. There's a goat. I'm showing it to you. Check it out. Got my little stick. Tap, tap, tap. There it is. Check it out. Here's my goat. I'm showing you my goat. Now give me my ribbon. Here it is. Now, now let me show you the craziness of goat showing in the light of missions. Watch this. Why do we have goat showing? Because our great God is so amazing, so creative, that he invented goat showing so that he could place a bunch of Christian goat showers in the middle of a bunch of non-Christian goat showers so that the Christian goat showers could point the non-Christian goat showers to the greatness of King Jesus. Amen? It changes how we view everything. Now, that doesn't mean we get to be a jerk in our mission field, okay? Should we be bold in our mission field? Should we be bold lights? Should we boldly and confidently the power of the Holy Spirit through us push back darkness? Yes, but nowhere in the Bible does it give you an excuse to be a jerk for Jesus. Like I've never met one person that became a Christian because they lost a Facebook argument with a Christian. <laughs> like don't be like my friend Timothy. I was a student pastor for six years and we had a, a seventh grader in our group named Timothy. Timothy is one of those gifts from the Lord to our student ministry. Youth pastors, you know what I'm talking about, all right? And one day, we're there on Wednesday night. We're setting up chairs. He gets there early. I go, bro, what are you doing here? And he goes, uh, hey, you know how you tell us that we're going to be missionaries in our school? And I go, yeah. And he goes, well, today I got persecuted like the Apostle Paul in my mission field. And I was like, oh, brother, because I knew Timothy. And I go, well, what happened, man? And he goes, well, my seventh grade homeroom class is all boys. And my teacher got called to the office. So I said, here's my opportunity to tell him about Jesus. So he walked up in front of the whole class. I was like, bold, all right. And I go, well, what'd you do? And he goes, well, I said, hey, guys, I got three questions for you. And they also knew Timothy, and they're like, oh, Lord, what? And he goes, question number one, do you get drunk? These are all seventh graders. I'm like, no. He goes, question number two, do you, do you smoke weed? And they're like, no. He goes, question number three, do you chase wild women? Oh, seventh grade boys. I'm like, no. And I go, well, Timothy, what got you in trouble? And he goes, what I said next? I go, what'd you say? And he goes, well, I looked at him and go, well, you all should because you're going to hell anyway. Now, listen. Not helpful, right? Not helpful. Hey, so I'm not saying in August you roll up into school on your first day of school going, I have arrived in my mission field. You jump up on your desk and go, all right, all you sinners, gather around. Gather around, you sinners. Turn or burn. Die or fry. You're done. But you know what you can do? Write these down real quick. Number one, pray for your mission field. Pray. My mentor shared this quote with me years ago, and I've never forgotten it. I want you to write this quote down. We should never talk to people about God until we talk to God about people. You hear me? We should never talk to people about God until we talk to God about people. Prayer will do things that we don't understand. Prayer can break a hard heart. Prayer can open eyes. 
our infinite mind, or our finite minds cannot wrap around the infinite mind of God and how prayer works in his will, but it does. Pray. Number two, how about live differently? If your life looks no different than your lost friends, you got to ask yourself, if my activity doesn't look different, then is my identity any different? See, because the Holy Spirit in us, the light in us, is going to propel us to be different. And then number three, share the gospel. People always want to quote St. Francis of Assisi, and we don't even know if he really said it. He says, go out and preach the gospel. And if necessary, use words. And I know what people say, our lifestyle should match our message. One atheist one time said this, Christians, I can't hear your message because your lifestyle speaks too loudly. But listen, Romans disagrees with St. Francis. We must open our mouths and share the gospel. That is the hope of the world. That is the need of the world. And we have been sent as missionaries, and we've been sent as ministers to tell people about the greatness of King Jesus. How many of you are so glad someone told you about King Jesus? We can't be selfish with it anymore. We must go share it. And isn't it sad, isn't it sad that a lot of Christians are better at sharing the flu with people than they are sharing the gospel with people? We must open our mouths and share the hope. Think about it. It's the good news of the world. You have something for your community that Walmart can't provide. The life-saving, life-transformation message of Jesus Christ. And you have it. And God's plan A of reaching the world with the gospel is the local church. And there is no backup plan. You're the plan. And we get to go do it. And we must open our mouths and share the gospel. Reminds me of after I got saved, I told you my testimony last night, I worked for a paint company called Sherwin-Williams for a year in a warehouse in Waco. And that whole year, I worked next to a guy named Brandon, and we were working right beside each other. In my mind, I think I'm being a good witness. I think I'm being a good missionary because I'd wear all these T-shirts with Jesus' face on them. I'd wear all these Christian wristbands. I'd listen to worship music in my cubicle. And we became friends. We started taking breaks together every day. We started taking lunch together. But here's the deal is I never once opened my mouth about Jesus. But in my mind, I think I'm being a good missionary. But the sad thing is, is during breaks, I had a lot to say about things that didn't even matter. It had nothing to say about the only thing that matters, Jesus. I had a lot to say about sports and girls and partying and, uh, and football and music and, and movies. But I had nothing to say about Jesus. After about 10 months, Brandon comes in on a Monday morning, he clocks in, he runs up to the cubicle, he's got this big cheesy smile on his face, and he says, hey Shane, aren't you a Christian? Isn't it sad he had to ask me that after 10 months? He goes, aren't you a Christian? I go, yeah man, I am. And he goes, oh dude, check this out. Yesterday, I went to church to see my nephew get baptized, and while I was there, I heard about the life and death and burial, resurrection of Jesus, and if I turn to Jesus and surrender my life to him, and he'll place his Holy Spirit in me, and it changes everything. Forgive me of sin and have eternal life. And I began to follow Jesus. And he goes, so yesterday, Shane, I surrendered to Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I am now a child of God. And I was like, Brandon, that is awesome. And I gave him this big hug. And he's a short guy. And I picked him up off the ground. I was turning back and forth. His little legs were like, doo-doo-doo-doo. And I set him down. He's like, man, you know what that means, bro? Like, that means we're brothers in Christ. You got to put up with me for all eternity, man. And I went to go give him another hug. And he shoved me back. And he looked at me and he goes, Shane, you know what else I heard yesterday? And I go, what's that, man? He goes, I also heard if I live my whole life without surrendering to Jesus, that I would end up in eternity separated 
from the love of God in a literal place called hell. And he looked at me, and he goes, Shane, do you believe that? Oh, man, I knew he was getting to. Felt like the air knocked out of my gut. Felt this lump in my throat. And I go, yeah, man, I believe the Bible teaches that. So I believe that. Yeah, man, I believe that. I'll never forget this grown man. He stuck his finger right in my face, lips quivering, tears rolling down his face now. And I'll never forget what he asked me. He said, did you not care enough about me to tell me that? What are you saying? Every excuse I can give is selfish in nature, right? Hey, man, I didn't want you to think differently of who? Me. Hey, man, I didn't want you to be offended by me. Hey, man, I didn't want you to stop inviting me around. Man, we have the hope of the world. We have the light of the world inside of us. We get to go share it with others. That's what we're called to. How many of you are movie fans? Any movie fans? You know, I travel a lot. So Netflix has become a dear friend of mine. <laughs> so I always have this, like, top five favorite list of movies that's ever changing. Um, so can I give you my top five favorite list of movies real quick? All right. All right. So number one um, is some oldies. There's oldies on it right now. So number one, I grew up in the country. It's still the movie Tombstone. You ever seen Tombstone? All right. Number one. Number two, uh, right now is the movie Braveheart. I told you some old ones. Anybody see Braveheart? All right. All right. Number three um, is the movie uh, Gladiator. Anybody seen Gladiator? All right. All right. Number four is the movie Remember the Titans. Remember the Titans? All right. So as you can tell, I love man movies, like man movies. That's why number five is the movie The Notebook. No, I'm just kidding. I'm, just, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. All right, number five favorite movie of all time. Now, don't judge me. Remember I said I have five kids, 13 and under. All right, so number five favorite movie of all time is this movie uh, right here. Can you see it on the screen here? All right, so. Now, how many of you are so excited there's a live action Lion King coming out this summer? We're excited about that. All right. So what movie is this? All right, all right. So at the beginning of Lion King, there's the dad lion, and what's his name? Mufasa, and he's got his son with him, Simba, on top of Pride Rock. And Mufasa looks at Simba, and he says almost with this, like, voice of God, right? He's like, Simba, everywhere the light touches is our kingdom. But out there in the land of the shadows, don't go there, because that's the enemy's territory, because there was an enemy named Scar, right? And Scar had these little workers for him who were the what? Hyenas says, Simba, don't go there. That's the enemy's territory. Stay in the light where it's safe. But here's the problem. Is Simba had a little girly friend. What was her name? Nala. So here's my version, right? Here's my version of Lion King. Is one day Simba goes to Nala, and he says, say, boo. <laughs> She's like, what's up, stud muffin? And he goes, you want to go to the land of the shadows? She goes, uh-oh, we're not supposed to go there. And he goes, girl, I got you. I'm a cub, stud. And she's like, okay, you're so dreamy, right? <laughs> then they go to the land of the shadows, and what happens? The enemy, the hyenas come, right? And Simba and Nala are running from the enemy, and they're tripping over elephant bones, and 
They get backed into the corner, and the enemy surrounds them. And Simba says, here's my chance to show off in front of my girlfriend. So he takes his little paw, and he scoots Nala behind him. And he looks in the face of the enemy, and he goes, Do you remember that? (laughs) What did the enemy do? Laughed in his face. And then he gathers himself to scare him off. And he gathers himself again and he goes, but right before he roars, there's this other roar that's like, and the enemy flies backwards and does backwards somersaults. Now, was it Simba who roared? No, who was it? Mufasa. The Lion King, his father, and the enemy flies back, and then the Lion King pounces on the enemy, and he says, did you know this was my son? And they go, uh-uh, uh-uh, and the third one's like, uh-huh, do you remember that? Now hear me. It's real cheesy, but real true. We have a Lion King. The Bible calls Jesus the King of Kings and the Lion of Judah. We have a Lion King. He is the light of the world, and his name is what? Jesus. Now, now, stay with me. Stay with me, please. Stay with me. Stay with me. Stay with me. However, our Lion King does not tell us what Mufasa told Simba. See, Mufasa told Simba, said, hey, let's stay where it's safe. Let's gather right here. See, our Lion King says the exact opposite of that. See, because we also have an enemy. His name is not Scar. His name is Satan. You know what Satan is not terrified of? Satan is not terrified of a bunch of Christians just gathering in a building, soaking up air conditioning, and wagging their finger at the world, going, ah, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. The enemy's not terrified of that. Do you know what the enemy is mortified of? Of the church of God, going out in the power of God loving God and loving people. And the enemy is mortified of the church of God going out in the power of God and being the church outside the walls of a building. The enemy is mortified of that. Because the last thing the world needs is another t-shirt with Jesus' face on it. Last thing the world needs is another Christian wristband. The last thing the world needs, and I say this as an author, is another Christian book. What the world needs is for the church to be the church outside the walls of a building. Would you agree with that? So watch this. Watch this real quick. So our Lion King doesn't say, hey, stay, stay, stay where it's safe. See, our Lion King says the exact opposite of that because he gives us the great commission. In Matthew 28 at the end, what does he say? Does he say, hey, stay? Is that what he says? What does he say? Go. Go. Charge the darkness. Go and make disciples of what? All nations. So it's almost like our Lion King says, go. Charge the darkness. Be lights to the world. Push back darkness. Go tell the world. Go. Now here's the good news. is our Lion King doesn't say, hey, go and good luck to you. See, our great Lion King gives us a great promise at the end of the Great Commission. What does he say? And know that I am with you sometimes. Is that what he says? And know that I'm with you at the church building. Is that what he says? And know that I'm with you what? Always. So here's why I tried not to get emotional because I don't want you to see a grown man cry. But this is where he says, our grind Lion King says, go. Go into your schools. Go into your neighborhoods. Go into your families. Go into your jobs. Go into the nations. And know this. I am going with you. 
and I'm going to roar through you, and I'm going to shine through you, and I'm going to push back the darkness through you for the name and the fame and the glory of our great Lion King. I am going with you. So let us pray. So here's the deal. We're not going to drag this out. I'm going to pray and say amen. The band's going to start singing. I'm going to ask everyone to stand. And here's the deal. Is all the things we talked about at the end can only happen if God has changed your identity. Listen, I'm not asking if you prayed a prayer, been dunked in water, member of a church. I'm not asking if you're Baptist. I'm asking you, have you been saved by King Jesus? And all week you've seen hundreds of people come forward and surrender their life to Jesus. See, the gospel changes your identity, and the Holy Spirit in you will begin to change your activities. And maybe tonight, before you can ever start loving God, and before you can ever start loving others, you need to experience the love of God yourself. Because you can't give away something you do not have yourself. So how many of you tonight would say, Shane, I know without a doubt that I'm a Christian. If that's you, with every head bowed, never eye closed, no one look around. Would you just put your hand up? You know without a doubt you're a Christian. Oh, you put your hand down. Awesome. Many of you raise your hand, but I also notice there are many of you that could not raise your hand. Tonight's your night. He loves you. He's not done with you. Experience his love tonight. Experience his forgiveness. Experience him changing you from the inside out experience his grace tonight. Maybe you're here tonight and you go, Shane, I don't feel loved. Listen, you can look at the cross of Jesus and see his love. I've grown to love you this week. I've grown to know many of you this week. I love you, but I don't love you enough to give one of my kids for you, but your heavenly father did. He loved you so much. He gave his very best for you, his son Jesus. He loves you. Come experience his love tonight. Come experience his forgiveness tonight. Have your identity changed and stop trying to chase love in the world. Stop trying to chase love in others and surrender to the love of God tonight. So I'm going to pray. The moment I say amen, I'm going to ask everyone to stand. The band's going to sing over us and you come forward like you've seen others do the last two nights. You come forward and by doing that you're saying, Shane, tonight I'm surrendering to the love of Jesus. I want him to change my identity. I need a brand new start. God, we thank you. You are love. And before we can ever love as a verb, we need to know love as a noun, you. So God, would you save people tonight? God, those that you're speaking to right now, would you give them the confidence and the courage? God, we're reminded your son died publicly, so may we confess him for salvation publicly. So God, would you draw people forward tonight? Would names be changed? Would identities be changed? And God, would you do it all for your name? your fame, and your glory. And we pray this in the name above every name, Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the church of God said, amen. Would you stand and come tonight? If he's talking to you, come. If he is calling you out, come. If you need to experience the love of God tonight, you come now. Tell the person next to you, excuse me, I got to go do business with God. If you need forgiveness tonight, you come. If you say, shame, before I can ever love as a verb, I need to know love as a noun. I need to surrender to Jesus tonight as my Lord and Savior. You come and you come now. Come on. Thanks for listening. 